Story Ten of Trolley Folly by Henry Wallace Phillips. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story Ten, The Fatal Gum, a serial comedy of light fingers and heavy boots. Zeke Scraggs had been working out on the dry patch, where it was a long ways between drinks and lukewarm water from my canteen. No particular comfort. He complained and I produced a discovery in the shape of a tinfoil-wrapped package of chewing gum marked Lily Sweet. If you chew a piece of that when you're dry, Scraggy, I said, it will stave off thirst for some time. Mr. Scraggs received the offering in his large palm and poked it with the forefinger of his other hand. Yes, he said. Yes but it's dangerous dangerous horrible you don't catch me mingling myself with no lily sweets i consider the lily of the field how she grows you wouldn't believe that anything that sounds so innocent could be the teetotal ruin of a large dark-complected tin horn with a pair of mustaches like engine-polished buffler horns would you like almost anybody else would have done i said i wouldn't well it was said zeke if you could see that gam and compare him to this here package of chewing gum you wouldn't ever guess that either one could do much of anything t'other yet i can't tell relate of that combination that would make each particular hair stand up ended like the squills of the frightful porcupine. Rats, said I, being but a youth. You got any hairs that's particular by nature? No? Well, then, I'll spread this terrific osculation of the comingulated forces of nature before you, as Charlie says. My kind of narrative is the plain, unvarnished tale. Folks that tell a varnished tale is apt to sit on their varnish before it's dry, and they'll stick to it, come cold fact or red-heart argument. Whilst I'm always willing to prune, cross-bar, revise, or alter according to my victim's feelings. That is, of course, if they got to corner me, which between gentlemen is a low-cut outrage but this business about the gam is dead straight i had relinquished all amusements and was living quiet in order to save money for i got acquainted with the facts first place comes a female missionary out to the ranch and she was a corking fine-looking nice young woman too who tackled me on the subject of chewing tobacco. She had me all tangled up in my own rope and double left-sided front and back before the clock struck one. I tried to argue that nobody wouldn't care whether I chewed tobacco or grass, so long as I was happy and doing no harm, but that turned out not to be true. She said so. Then I tried to reach her womanly compassion, by tearfully expounding how I'd miss my cut a plug a day. I never touched her. Hers was a new religion. 
It had a different figure on the back from any I'd had dealt to me before. Seems it weren't a sin to chew, but it was the control I'd lost over myself that put me in the hole. I had just to get command of my mind, and everything would come at me, like a North Carolina town's nigger's dogs chasing a three-legged cat up an alley. But, ma'am, says I, I've knocked off before, and as for control over my mind, during the whole spell me and Star Plug was separated, friends had to hold me to permit me going in and robbing my own grip. Control of my mind, says I, fighting noble. Why, you could have sicked a burglar on me, and he couldn't have found no such thing on my person. I didn't have no mind. I walked up and down, day and night, in that man's town, like a raving maniac stupefied by his hallucinations. All that passed beneath my shining dome was, Oh, for a chew, oh, for a chew, oh, for a chew, 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 chew. Ooh-wee! Brakes! And when the cars went over the switch or a cayuse cantered up, they said, Tobacker, 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 to my famished ears. All I wished was that the houses was built to plug, and all I thought of was that I could get earnest with an axe. That's all I could think, all. But you must use the control, says she, eager. You mean, ma'am, I says, then I must seek out a quiet place, clench my fists, grind my teeth to a feather edge, and strain my suspenders to the busting point in one calamitous effort to think I'm not thinking. Precisely, says she, victorious. You western men have such a ready grip on essentials that it is a delight to be your guide. Well, Uncle Tom and the dogs are biting him, says I to myself. Lead on. I took off my hat aloud and bowed to within two of my noses of the ground. To be able to follow so gentle and able a guide straight to perdition is a joy, says I. I quit the class of ruminants for two weeks. I will not use tobacco. No, says little Zeke's Crags. There's my hand on it, ma'am. And she just turned pink with joy. She was an awful nice little gal. Only she was so jammed full of knowledge that it was hard for her to understand things. Having put this job on myself, I went to our storekeep and called for my time. I knew I'd need bright lights and excitement for a while. I began to feel already that a chew wouldn't go bad. There was the storekeep gazing fixedly at a book. His lips was moving but he seemed in a kind of rapture. When I hollered to him, he jumped all over and barked at me like a dog. At the same time, he grabbed up a cigarette, stuck it in his mouth, took it out, looked at it, and fired it down again. A light broke on me. So she got you too, says I. Hoopity, hoppity, hippity, your hoop, 
says he. That's just what she's done. I'm three days out. Not a smell of smoke in three days. My soul has gone away and won't have any more truck with me. I don't know who I am, nor why. I've been trying for an hour to find out how much three and two make. Take your money and leave me to my fate. With this picture in my mind, I broke for town. Halfway there, I was chawing a latigo strap like a wolf. When I hit the street, I jumped through the drugstore door. What you got for a man that's quit chewing? I gasps to the boss. Frankie Frenchman's fool killer, says he. And with that, he turns his head and expectorates satisfactorily into the spittoon. Seeing him, I near died of a broken heart. The next crack will be at your expense, I told him. You hike out something for my case, I says. He shoved me out a package just like that. Mr. Scraggs poked my gift. Just like that. I put the whole busy in my trap and chomped on it like a lion. I walked around the town, chomping on it. I waved my jaw till my face ached. Seemed to me like I'd never done anything in all my life but bite Injie rubber. And then I pushed madly for the first stud poker game. When I got there, nothing was moving. This here tin horn I mentioned was polishing his mustache with both his hands whilst he talked to a few hangers-on. I became ashamed of that chewing gum, and I stuck it under the table, very sly and surreptitious. I felt like a man again. Fire the engine up, says I. Give me five stacks to practice on. The game hopped gleeful toward the table and give the drawer a yank. She stuck. He cussed and pulled harder. She came open with a jerk and a kind of a long, sticky smack. Followed the strings of gray. The gamma rose from where he sought on his backbone and looked at the drawer. We're not doing any business today, says he, showing me my little eagle bird. What's happened to the trade, says I. He simply pinned to the hunk of gum, which I had most unfortunate jammed against the drawer. My wildest fancies have got exceeded, says he. Do you want to hear a weird and willful tale of woe? Of course not, I says. All right, says he, I'll tell you. Well, says he, here's the way she come up. I'm a lost one in the wilderness, out at a telegraph station. I see where I get my talents buried in a napkin made of sole leather. Hence I get handy with a deck of cards in front of the looking glass. My work is so good after a while that I lose my whole salary to myself. And yet, watching careful all the time in the looking glass, I'm fit to handle the steamboat trade. But I aims higher. I buy me a ticket to New York and hunt up a place where they hew to the line. Let the chips fall where they will. What's your new box of tricks? 
says the Murphy that run the joint. Well, says I, nothing new but the good old reliable line. The world is my oyster, as Hamlet says, and I've got openers. Hmm, says he, making a fat man's shift in his chair and pushing his cigar into the other corner of his face. I want you to understand this is a dead straight game run here, my bucko. Yet you look good. Suppose I've come in and laid thirty cents or so on the king, coppered. Lift the joker out of that deck, and let's see what happens. He threw me a pack, and I riffled and boxed him. Why, you lose, says I, much surprised, as the king come out open on the turn. And not so worse, says he. Play on. I slid him out of the box to the last card. You only lost your footin' once, says he. The way you beat my corner play was a little obvious. Exercise your little finger till it's soopler. You can handle a roll tonight. But mind this, says he, as he grunted himself on his feet. This is a dead straight house. If anybody catches you being technical, we jumps you, from me to the cop on the watch. You get five percent. Well, sir, that was the loveliest little bower of rosebuds you ever smelt. Checks was jewelry. We didn't have change for nothing below a fifty-dollar bill. Our line of customers was these terrible-knowing young men of the world who stood the terrific experience of a college careerin'. They was a darin' outfit. They was so fast they couldn't help talk about the pace they was hittin'. And what they didn't know about the game of Pharaoh was my business. It was like being knocked down in the street by a strong man and have money pushed into your clothes. I did things at that table that never happened before in a civilized community. I was so youthful, you know, and it was a constant problem to me whether they'd stand for biting off the corner of a card to make things come my way. I run in Ronicaboos that would make a heathen-skinned Ahonian farmer fall off his hay wagon, but them men of the world simply contributed yellerbacks, oh, good old yellerbacks, beautiful to the eye, soft to the touch, so encouraging to the feelings. I reckoned I'd buy the darn old Western Union and get even with the cuss who used to pound it to me from up the line. Ouch! Vanished dream. Sweet vision. Stuck to earth by that concuss, snappy, stringy, bouncy, mud-colored, foolish food for the flighty females you see before you. At this point, said Mr. Scraggs, he shot his finger at my gum, breathing hard and glittering in his eyes. Yes, sir, says he. There lies a cause of my ruin, and such a fiddling, trifling stuff to wreck a man. He got some of his breath back. You ought to ask how, says he, and I reply, by contracting the habit, not of gnawing it, 
he adds hastily, but stepping on it. Here was I, sitting on sunset clouds and floating over beautiful scenery till there comes a cold blast of the winds of chance, and from that moment my path in life was strewn with the discard from rosy lips. For two solid weeks I did nothing but scuff my feet or flag a shine stand to get rid of the day's gathering a gum. Then my Italians used to grin in a way that made me want an open season on foreigners. As I cantered up to em, smicky smacky, smicky smacky, trailing soft gray hairs behind me like a retired minister's whiskers. They'd look up at the sky and make dago remarks whilst they curried my feet with a brick till the cold sweat of mortification melted my bald collar. And what's a flapdoodle actor goat with a red, white, and blue hat band got gay and told me not to use such naughty words about these tributes from the mouth of beauty. I swallowed the air where he had been when I started to hit him, and he took me by most of my trousers and turned me ten somersaults. How was I to know he was Honest Mike, the deckhand, who chucked the villain over Brooklyn Bridge every night and Saturday matinee? Well, I'll cut it short. No matter where I fled, the fiend pursued me. I went to the Opry one night to get my frazzled nerves soothed by the champion yelpers of the pack. For two solid hours, I lived untroubled, not even worried by the show, as I couldn't understand a word of it. And nobody on the stage had complaints too deep to sing about. But coming out, the enemy waited on the edge of a step for me, and I landed astride of a stout lady's neck, begging her pardon and fighting a half-dozen men for five minutes. When I explained, even the stout lady laughed. The boss at my joint cussed himself into asthma, wondering what the sticky stuff tracked all over his new seven-dollar-a-yard carpet was. But I ain't gonna weary you with trifles. One day the boss tipped me off that there was a bunch of alumni's due that evening. He said they was fellers that had took the college course, but recovered, and that the bow-legged elephant song and dance that extracted money from our regulars would be looked upon with reproach by the newcomers. I got nervous. Playing again them little first-crow roosters had been bad practice. I soaked my hands in warm water and prepared as best I could. But when I saw that gang before me, I knew why they was called alumni's. They puckered my soul up. My hands got too wet with sweat for business. You know your fingers has got to be not too dry to slip and not too wet to stick if you're turning out high-grade work. Well. I was excited, yet it was a real pleasure to be up against real men. I had a habit of running my fingers over the rung of my chair to keep them in right shape. 
"'Twas a thing nobody could complain of, and the game just held on to its hat and flew. How much money you had was the limit, and to put my little bank on the other side of the river quick was the idea of the alumni's. I forgot everything. I was fair hollering inside for joy. My buckers had a good square chance to catch me at it, if they could, and I was hauling money when, well, fortune had patted me on the back with one hand while she got ready with a blackjack in the other. In my state of feeling, I put a heel, a chewing gum covered heel, on the rung of that chair and took it off again without noticing. As the place stood, the outfit had me whipsawed. I drug my fingers over the rung of that chair, that chewing gum covered rung, without noticing. Then I wiggled my fingers in a tiny catch-as-catch-can over the box and raised them with a playing card firmly stuck to each finger. Then I noticed, yes, and everybody noticed. Silence fell six foot deep. One of them alumni says, That may be magnificent, but it ain't Hoyle. And I excused myself by ducking under the table and jumping over the banisters. Once on the street, I hoopled her for the corner. My play was to wait till the crowd went out and then see the old man who had a rubber band on my roll. I thought I'd peek around the corner until all was clear, then rush the boss with my hard luck game of talk extract a little of the juice of the root of evil from him, then fold up my legs like a jackrabbit and silently lift myself through the breeze back to the sagebrush, back to where the prairie dog and the owl and the rattlesnake live in harmony together, never excepting the rattlesnake, so long as there's plenty of young dogs and owls. The game must have busted when I took the fence, for here come a bunch of alumni right up the street. I had the curiosity to wait and hear what they was talking about, as I had a corner to duck behind when they come close. Well, I waited and didn't hear nothing I'd care to write home to mother. It made me so cussed mad, I overstayed my time. Just when they got within range, I started to hop swiftly backwards, but I didn't. No, my feet had grew fast to that sidewalk. Seems the city had been mending the block pavement, as usual, and some horny soul son of toil had spilt a square yard of coal tar on the sidewalk. Me to the middle of the coal tar district. Of course, you can chew coal tar, you know. I've done it. So, as I remarked, I didn't gracefully sidestep. Exactly not. I gave one yank and landed with my knees up in the air. Them feet was riveted fast, you bet. And my joints just had to yield a cordon. What is this we have, said one alumni. There was a gas lamp on the corner. They knew me by my face. Are you gonna deal flagstones with your feet? asked one of them. Let's pull down the blinds. 
It was their world at the bat. They brought all the folks, including the old man and Tommy the cop. They yee-hooed on my feet till I had to holler for mercy. Then they sat on the curb and rocked and hollered like the pack of fools they were. They tried to lift my shoulders up, but found that my coat had took a violent affection for the sidewalk, too. Some of them didn't even try it for the curbstone then. They rolled around on the sidewalk and kicked their legs whilst I frayed my vocal cords, reading their customs and habits to them. But I was in a running noose. The harder I cussed at em, the worse they laughed. Ain't he the slick one, though, says the old man, holding on to his stomach with both hands. Don't do nothing more to him for a minute, boys, or the corner will be sitting on me. Every time I gnashed my teeth and tried to reach em, they waltzed on one leg and shrieked. There must have been nigh three hundred fools watching and having the time of their lives. Little messenger boys was there. The night watchman took a peep. Ladies with a past improved a shining present. The dago shoe blacks heard the racket and come running up and hollered, Chewing gum extract, ten a cent. And there I lay, flat on my back, with my knees in the air, scart to move, cause I couldn't wiggle a finger without the crowd throwing a fit. Oh, murder. Let's cut it. They unlaced my shoes and snaked me out of my coat, and instead of being sad at them pathetical shoes and coat lying in the coal tar, the boss fell over sideways and the rest was too feeble to stop me as I broke away. I made that block in two stocking-footed lips. I had a hundred or two in my pants. I bought three dollars worth of coat and shoes from a second-hand store for fifteen dollars, and I promised that if anything happened, I wouldn't mention the shop to the police. Then I come here, far from the gadding crowds, far from the lady with the developed jaw swing, and I get that. Here, says Mr. Scraggs. He pointed to my chin gum and wiped his white brow off with his white handkerchief. And he says, Have we come to this? And I swallowed hard and looked at him. Have you such a thing as a plug of tobacco in your possession? Yes, says he, surprised. I have. Well, says I, rather than to further add to your troubles, I'll break my word to a lady. Give me that plug. We haven't come to this. This has come to us. So I explained, and he opened his stock exchange. I reckon he was right about the bad effects of chewing gum, too, or maybe what's a metal winner in New York ain't art west of the Missouri. Anyhow, you don't hear me kicking about that nice missionary young lady. If I cared for jewelry, I'd be wearing that Ten Horns Diamond chest protector right now. Gum has different effects on different people. 
'twas fatal to his constitution. End of story ten. Recording by Tom Penn.